Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on a meal train mishap, gracefully wrapping up a gathering early, seating significant others at a wedding, and how to go about asking someone to throw you a bridal shower. For Awesome Etiquette sustaining members, our question of the week is about responding to personal questions from your boss. Plus your most excellent feedback. Feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript where we discuss left-handed diners. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And we got to celebrate last Monday. <laughs> yes, we it did. Feels like ages ago today, and and the work isn't done. But um, because it was really really fun to go up and do a sledding celebration, since we we couldn't hang out indoors together, <laughs> <laughs> but to utilize the big snowpack up at your place this week. <laughs> It felt so spontaneous, and the, the, I, I felt like you're like, oh, maybe I'll just stop by. Oh, maybe we could do this. And maybe we could. the next thing you know, there you and I are on a couple of plastic sleds, bombing through the woods, <laughs> squealing like children. It was just awesome. It was so much fun. Some of you may have been lucky enough to catch it on our Instagram feed or our, our Instagram stories. Um, but it, it was really fun. It was quite the ride. I, I like crashed early in a bizarre way and then got going and, and caught up to you. But it's, I think the part I like the best is that it, it feels never ending. It was, I don't know what the actual like quarter mile is of it, you know, like how much it is in terms of distance, but that hill. Uh, up above your house is like it really is the most perfect sled run. Like, I was gonna say, tell them, guys, tell them it's the perfect sled so run. It is. It's a there's a deer camp up above Dan's house, and there is a road that goes up to it that that you know a car would normally drive up. But in the winter, not many people are driving up there, and the snowmobiles go up. And so you had told me that it really was the perfect pack day because someone had gone up on the on the snowmobile and really packed it down. And then we had this light, fresh snow that was falling. So we got this like nice fluff as well with it. And the sleds could really, really go. It's pretty much like a luge, <laughs> and they right? Because the, the, the snowbanks come up the sides of this little narrow road. I and... had to use my feet as brakes, man. I could not, and then I was like snow blinding myself. Not snow blinding, but it was just all going in my face. The spray, but it was it. I, I, you get going fast. <laughs> that bottom third of the hill where we were is the fastest part. Absolutely, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it it is. It was it was speedy, and it is really fun because the snowbank at the bottom. 
that then connects to the what is your driveway, but it's like the upper half of your driveway headed to your neighbor's house. Like it's it, it, it creates a jump. And then the not fun part <laughs> is after the jump, which is you're you're now on plowed dirt. You know what I mean? You're real like that's hard pack right there. And it's it's not a fun landing, but the, it's a fun jump. <laughs> Sort of an epic way to to make your appearance into the front yard coming out of the trees. Just anyway, it's not exactly like that. But. Yeah, no, it's it was it was a blast. It was a, it was a real blast. I can't wait to do it again. <laughs> I can't wait till all the kids are older and no longer needing masks, and we can do a real a real post family sledding party up there. <laughs> you you were talking about it as we were walking up, and I was thinking to myself. It, how much I've imagined doing that. The kids are just starting to get old enough where they like they sledding and can actually carry a sled up. And <laughs> um, It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> well, it was certainly a really, really fun way to celebrate. And um, while the work is not over, we only turned in the first half. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of what we've turned in so far. I know it'll still get a lot of adjustments, but I feel like we're making a book that this audience in particular is is really going to appreciate and and resonate with. <laughs> like I, I think y'all are gonna dig it. <laughs> well, not not to put the the cart ahead of the horse, but um, I think so too, Kaz. I think you've definitely got something worth celebrating. <laughs> There's one last thing I can't let go before we transition into questions for the show this week, and that is that it was Mardi Gras on Tuesday, and even though it's now. Lent. <laughs> um, happy Mardi Gras to everyone. It was a really different, different year for New Orleans celebrating. And I thought that people really um, took to it with gusto. They decorated their houses. They really tried to make it as awesome as possible. And for someone who likes to go down there for Mardi Gras and couldn't this year, I was really inspired. So I want to thank my favorite city. <laughs> All right, guys. Does it go laissez le bon temps rouler? It does indeed. <laughs> that and if I could get my Patriots cousin to say go Saints, G-E-A-U-S, it'd be perfect. <laughs> we'll, we'll work on that someday. <laughs> In the meantime, let's get to some questions. Let's do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or find us on social media. On Twitter, we're at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we're at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your social media post so we know you want your question on the show. Awesome Etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? <laughs> StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. 
You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. <laughs> After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question this week is about a meal train mishap. Dear Dan and Lizzie, we recently welcomed our newest baby into the family. Hey, congratulations! We're part of a wonderful community in our town that sets up meal trains for new moms and families in need of some extra support. We've participated in this with babies in the past, and it's always been such a huge help during the transition time and gone very smoothly. This year's been a bit different. We've had five people forget about the days they've signed up for. This has never happened in the past. A few have texted us apologizing and offering to bring a meal another day, and others we just haven't heard from at all. We are super fine and not starved, smiley face, and we are so grateful for the meals we have received. I'm chalking the forgotten meals up to the pandemic and everyone feeling a bit scattered. It's really not a huge deal as far as I'm concerned. What I'm wondering, though, is should I have said something to the families we haven't heard from, either the day of or the day after? I've just not mentioned it at all, but I'm also a bit anxious about when we see these people next. What if they remember that they forgot to bring a meal and wonder why I didn't say anything? The sign-up service that we use does send a day-before reminder and an automatic thank-you email a few days after. I just feel awkward about the whole situation. If staying silent is best, then I'm happy to do that. Thanks for any advice in navigating this situation. Anonymous. Oh, Anonymous, I'll second my cousin's congratulations <laughs> and also express my sympathy that you're dealing with an awkward situation and my uh, fight or flight response in the face of awkwardness tends towards flight as Lizzie Post would tell you. And <laughs> when I'm confronted with awkwardness, no, you're allowed to do that. <laughs> that's, that's meant to be funny. Sorry, um, I really didn't mean to laugh that hard cuz, but it was such an honest moment. <laughs> not that you're not typically honest, but it was that was that was sweet. Okay, sorry. <laughs> Starting again. Feel free to laugh at that and be like, yeah, so true, my cousin. Oh, <laughs> sorry, cuz. I don't mean to laugh so hard, but it is it is true. You're, you're, you're a fan of the flight. <laughs> it is true. And the show notes that I had, sort of my most immediate uh, reply or response or the thought that jumped to mind when I read this question was, shh, don't say anything. When you're confronted with that kind of awkwardness, oftentimes the easiest thing to do is disengage from it. You're talking about someone who made a commitment to do something. They didn't do it. It negatively impacts you. And as you point out, it's all relatively minor. It's not a big deal. And the structure is that they did something wrong. You were negatively impacted. And it's really difficult to bring that up in a way that isn't essentially just pointing that out. Yeah. And because the outcomes are 
relatively minor, as you point out, it's not like you need this food as a need, then bringing it up is sort of inappropriate. It almost sort of compounds and extends that awkwardness in ways that aren't necessary. I don't know if I'd call it like inappropriate, but I think that you're right about the compounding it in ways that are not necessary. You know, I could see it being an easy check-in almost if it's happening ahead of time. Um, and I could especially see this in, in days pre-pandemic where a, a, a meal drop-off might also result in a visit to see the new baby or something. And that ah, may or may not. So nice. you know, yeah, exactly. And that may or may not be going on right now. But that would come in the form of, ahead of time and maybe it would be the day before or the morning of the the meal train drop off that you would say you know like hey carol just checking in on meal train drop off today let me know when you're coming hopefully we can say hi i feel like that would be a way to tackle things from here on out moving forward because so many people are forgetting even though the system is supposed to do that for you um but i i think that at this stage where you're after the fact that it's happened it's i don't think it does a lot of constructive good to bring it up. And I'm I'm also not sure that you have to worry about them wondering why you didn't say anything. I think if it didn't happen and they're not owning up to it or or realizing it or calling you to make that apology or reschedule, then they they've probably completely blanked or they've blanked and realized it and are too embarrassed to step up. And those things all suggest to me don't that that, that not bringing it up is a good idea. So there's one point that I would make that's kind of a technical point. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> Um, I'm thinking about the the way I've experienced meal train, where as the incredibly grateful beneficiary, I had nothing to do with setting it up. And it might be that there's a role for an organizer where it is not just appropriate, but maybe even important for the person that organizes a meal train to do that kind of check in. I started to think about it. Um, I'm sorry, that kind of check-in, where it might be appropriate and important for the person that's doing that organizing to check in with people. And I'm thinking about a first-time occurrence where five people missed it. Maybe there's something that's not quite right there with the system, or maybe it is oh, just pandemic point. fatigue. But as an organizer, I think that you've got a lot more latitude. To you're, check in. <laughs> yep, you haven't been negatively impacted in the same way. You're... You've got a sort of a, a social contract with these people that they're going to be participating in this thing. And when it doesn't happen, I think it's entirely reasonable from that perspective to check in and just say, hey, did something happen? <laughs> um, and it might help you plan for the next one. Dan, I like your utilizing the idea of both flight and fight, but just do it through someone else. <laughs> like, Isn't that nice? You get the flight. They get that someone else takes care of your fight. Now you know why why I actually do want a partner in life. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that's a really great idea if there is someone who's who's organized and been the point person that that leave it in their hands or, or at least let them know that this many mistakes are starting to happen. And like you said, might be pandemic fatigue, might be a technical glitch or an error or something like that. And, and at least alerting the organizer, you have a shot at, at maybe hopefully not seeing so many random cancellations in the future. Anonymous, we definitely sympathize. This is a very difficult time for parents, especially parents of a new baby, and we hope our answer helps. How do you go about being thoughtful? What do you do? Every time I try, I only make things worse. Is there some particular method of being thoughtful that works every time? Our next question is titled, Early 
exits, and it comes from Misha. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I have a question for you. I've been a longtime listener, and I've realized many things. Your podcast is very educational. Sometimes I have cringeworthy moments realizing, oh, my gosh, I did the wrong thing. But now I have a question for you. I am an early-to-bed introvert. My husband is not, as you can imagine. And we love to entertain, though I hesitate more because more than he does because it's always awkward to wrap up a social gathering. I was raised with leave while the party is going well, then stay there until 3 a.m. And we recently had an event where we had another couple over outside by on the fire pit, around the fire pit, and we were all at a loss of just how to bring it to an end, how to not let this um, – we had a great time, but how do we bring a social gathering to a close? And are there any suggestions via etiquette? Is it stated in the invite or – in the moment, is it when the host gets up and moves towards the door? I've heard about dimming the lights outside. That was kind of hard to do. It just always feels awkward. Any suggestions you have would be welcome. Take care. Misha, this is such an etiquette classic. <laughs> such a classic. In fact, I think it was just last night, was he post, <laughs> that you and I were talking about this exact topic. <laughs> and I found myself saying that as I talk etiquette advice and tips this is the place the end of the party where i hear your mother's voice give our advice <laughs> as clearly as i do anywhere else in the emily post pantheon it's also probably because she says such shocking things as like you can shut the lights off and tell your guests you're going to bed imagining trisha getting to the point where she's throwing the light switches on people is the yeah the best part of it <laughs> Well, it's it's not quite that dramatic, and there are definitely some steps before we get to that stage. And Misha's also dealing with, for instance, in the example she gave, you know, an an outdoor party where it's a little harder to do thi like do things like turn the lights up, maybe turn the music down. Not impossible. Start to tidy up. <laughs> tidying up might not be quite so apparent. You know, you might not notice that your host was doing dishes in the kitchen for the past ten minutes. You know. But there, there are things that you can do. And Dan and I were, were talking about this before we jumped on for this question that so much of this really depends on how casual this event is. Um, some of the traditional etiquette around inviting actually talks about that you don't put end times on parties. You don't say, I'm going to invite you to a dinner from six to nine, get out at nine, you know? It's, as much as you might love to. As <laughs> much as you might, or love, I to. might love to. As much as practicality might, might be with us on that one. It's not polite. And it's funny, even when we were batting forth the casual ways in which you might let someone know that you want to have an early evening, we had a hard time coming up with a sample script that let us put a specific time on the end of the gathering if it wasn't something like an open house event, like a housewarming where you might say come by from, you know, 2 to 6 or 2 to 8 p.m., that's when the, the party will be happening. So, Misha, one of our big points is this really depends on how you're setting up this gathering and, and if it's a very casual gathering or if it's a more formalized gathering. And for casual gatherings, 
I think it is okay, like when that that impromptu fire pit afternoon comes along or, or kind of starts getting discussed, to say something like, "Oh yeah, anyone can come over around four o'clock. We're probably going to try to keep it an early evening tonight or something like that." When your early starts to kick around, that's when you're going to start putting the food away. You know, removing often the alcohol is a way to go. Having sort of water and coffee out for people to drink, turning down the music and up the lights if you're indoors. Um, Dan, what are some other things that you might start doing that are heavier hints that that the host is is cleaning up and getting ready to 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 call it a night? I, I like the way you're talking about dosage, too, because I was thinking any of those things that you just described could be done with a light touch or a heavy handed touch. <laughs> uh, good And point. they would be perceived very differently. Right. right. And, and that's sort of where our joke about your mother shutting the lights off on people comes from, because she would obviously <laughs> never do that. But so those the, the, the cues, the little social cues, I, I, I'm i a big fan of thanking people. You start to have those end of night discussions. I like it's that. It's been such a pleasure. It's been so great. And you start, start to talk reflective. about the night in the past <laughs> tense. Um, and bringing gratitude and appreciation into that is another way to keep the, the dosage on the polite side. Mm-hmm. If you've done your work ahead of time, if you've set some parameters on an event that's casual with some good expectation setting or a more formal event where people have an invitation and have a better understanding of the nature of the event because of that and can kind of interpret it. Also, people should have some idea that we're getting towards the end of an evening, however they've been invited. So Mm -hmm. when you start to give those cues, people are usually going to pick them up and run with them, usually. And I know that we can also say say other things like you can you can be a little bit more direct after you've done sort of the gratitude and the the idea of talking about things in this reflective way uh, or talking about the party in this reflective way. You can also say things like being more direct and say things like, well, gang, this has been fantastic, but I'm going to have to politely kick you out or send this party to a new location because we've really got to be getting to bed now. And that is okay when you say it lightly, when you're accompanying it with gratitude and and expressions of goodwill towards people. I think that might be Misha's best chance in this, um, given that these are really casual affairs. But Misha's mentioned that being an introvert, she likes to go to bed early, but she's mentioned that her husband is is not. He's someone who can hang longer, stay up later. Dan, what do you think about one host bowing out for the evening while the other one stays to host? Do you think that that's, that's rude? Do you think that it would come across as awkward? Do you think that Misha would still just be awake because everyone would be in her house until 3 a.m.? What do you think? Lizzie Post, I don't think that's necessarily rude. I I can imagine all kinds of scenarios where I'm going to leave you in the hands of my better half. And it's it's been such a pleasure. I mean, there there are a lot of ways to do that. I I, am thinking about the way we open this question with sort of the the nature of the event. I think the the more formal, the more structured it is, the more your hosting duties are formal and structured Mm -hmm. and the more you want to stick with it for the more kind of casual gathering that we've been I think talking about and, and on the show acknowledging is the way that people tend to gather a lot these days mm-hmm. that what you're describing is it makes a lot of sense. and It might be the perfect way for that party <laughs> to continue and people to enjoy it. And why would you want something like your hosting duties and the structure of your hosting duties to prevent that from from being the case? 
Misha, we hope that this gives you a number of avenues to try, and mostly we hope that you get to find more balance with your hosts and guests. And when you're invited to a party, practice the skills of a good guest. Leave on time and courteously, too, thanking your host sincerely for the good time you have. All these things help to make a good party, a party that's fun for all. Our next question is about significant others at other tables. Hmm. Dear Lizzie and Daniel, first I have to say how glad I am to have found your podcast. My parents raised my brothers and I on Emily Post from the time we were all very young with certain bits in force 24-7 and not just around non-family members. For example, saying, may I please, putting your cutlery at four o'clock when you're finished eating and the eternal importance of saying thank you. We were constantly praised by our friends' parents for our manners. <laughs> While our skills aren't as sharp as they used to be since we're all adults and live hours apart from each other, we like to brush up before things like weddings and family events, which leads me to my question with a touch of background. One of my brothers, there are four siblings in total, is getting married this summer. All three siblings are in the wedding party, but our significant others are not. The couple is planning on having a head table where we'll all be seated away from our significant others. For one of the significant others, it will be the first time meeting anyone outside of the immediate family. For another, it'll be the first time meeting a lot of them and the first family wedding. The third is a spouse and acquainted with everyone. The three siblings in the wedding party want to make sure our dates are comfortable, and there are a few people on the guest list who, frankly, all of us except the groom, would like to avoid in full. Naturally, the bride and groom are experiencing all of the stresses that come with wedding planning. My siblings and I want to know, is it appropriate for us to ask that our significant others be seated together and with specific people? For example, we would love to ask that the three of them are seated with certain cousins and their dates who are people they already know. Should we have this conversation with them? If so, how should we approach it? Thank you for reading my question and for the content on civility you're producing in a time when it often feels like civility is no more. Sincerely, Ellie. Oh, Ellie, etiquette is not dead. Civility is not dead. We promise. <laughs> for exactly reasons like the question you are writing in for. It oh, shows, this is a good question. I know, but it like it shows Ellie. Ellie cares about this, and she cares about both the people she's going to be asking something of, or or possibly asking something of, and the 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 significant others who are all impacted. So civility lives on, Ellie, in moments like this with people like you. <laughs> okay, it does. <laughs> now to the question, right? <laughs> So from an etiquette perspective, I think there's some ground that we need to identify that's going to be the ground that we're operating on. And that's that you're not a host of this wedding. You're part of the family, part of the wedding party, but you're not actually a host. And that means you're not involved in the planning of the seating chart. And that means that this is not something where you have any standing or authority to offer input. And that's just the, the 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 ground that we're standing on as we talk <laughs> about the ways that you might ask for some accommodations that is, I think, what is really going to be the substance or the, the heart of this question. And you hear me giggling in the background because it is often family members, siblings, members of the bridal party who end up helping with the seating chart. 
So it's one of those spaces where Dan's absolutely right. As a host, it's not up to you. However, as a helpful, friendly, you know, wanting to pitch in uh, sibling, you could absolutely offer to help with the seating chart. And then your your requests or <clears throat> suggestions might actually not land in a place of you asking for special treatment of these these three folks, but in a place of strategy and assistance instead. And so that might be my, my first suggestion might be to, to start offering to help with some different parts of the wedding and making the seating chart one of the places you make this offer. Because I love that idea. And I have one big but. And it's that you've really got to be willing to help. It's got to be such a genuine offer to help. <laughs> you can't just be doing it to get the seating chart amended your way. It can't be that kind of squirrely or you could end up in worse shape. No, that's quite all right. We've got the seating chart and now you've got your suggestions and good luck ever getting them out. But if if if, if it really is coming from a place of I, I want to help and even if they say, yeah, that'd be great. Could you also help with these other things? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> I, I, I'd be comfortable saying yes or no to those because – I don't have an agenda. I'm really answering based on, on, on yeah. who I am and what I want to do. What happens, though, if they don't take you up on that? Is there is there a next <laughs> step? Are there other thoughts that you have in mind? I think so. I think that this is – so if they don't take you up on it and, – and I really respect that Ellie is is recognizing that um, her brother and, and his uh, fiancé are – are going through the stresses of planning and that you don't want to put a lot of undue stress on there. And so I might lean in if my parents are heavily involved in the wedding planning, I would lean into asking one of them about it by kind of talking with someone who's a bit more involved. If you, if you haven't been brought into the seating chart and <laughs> to the, to the planning of the reception and the, and the seating chart, um, asking that person who's not the couple who, who you've identified as being really stressed, but, but the parent who might be able to see the bigger picture, the idea that, boy, it could be really uncomfortable for guests who've barely been around this family to be off at tables on their own with people they don't know. You know what I mean? Like, I think I think you could make a, a case to a, a parent or someone else who's really helping to plan everything that might help help them guide the bride and groom in that direction. Or this person also might actually be in charge of the seating chart. And then it's a, a little less stress to ask them as opposed to the bride and groom. But I think you can, even if your offer of help has been declined in this area, I think you could still just say, hey, guys, I was thinking about the wedding and the idea of the the bridal table. And there's just something that's been nagging at me from a, a politeness standpoint or from a consideration standpoint. And I, I thought I would bring it up. And it's just to give people ideas. You can always say, you know what, everyone will make it work if it's not if, if we if we can't you know, get people seated with people they know. We know everybody is going to be able to be okay. You reassure the couple that if they need to do it their own way, that'll be fine because you're a guest and you're supposed to. But I don't think it would be terrible to ask because I think you're close enough to the whole thing. I am liking the way your sample scripts are sounding. Mm -hmm. It's really what I was imagining the answer being when I first read the question. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's because I could never imagine myself offering to help with a seating chart. But... <laughs> So, so, so what I was imagining was how I was going to ask for the accommodation on behalf of my spouse or on behalf of a group of siblings. So, you know, we've been and, and a lot of the same language that you were playing with was what that conversation sounded like in my mind. And it sounded like a reasonable, natural conversation for siblings getting ready for a wedding to have. 
And I always wanted to remind myself that, like we heard in the question, weddings can be stressful times and it really isn't your decision to make. So it is something that you're asking or requesting about and offering input on but aren't making demands about. And with that in mind, I think you should be in pretty good shape. I also think that one of the things you don't want to do when you do lean into making an ask or a suggestion is to try to wield etiquette as a sword. Typically, you wouldn't split up couples. Um, quite often, for instance, at, at Anna's wedding, my sister's wedding, there was a, a bridal table, which was really nice. And my date was with me at that table, as were all the other dates. And so it was one of those things where, especially my date, who didn't know anybody at the wedding, it, it would have been pretty awkward for him to be at a table on his own with, with nobody else that he knew. If you can, it is always good to lead from that place. If a a host or couple hasn't picked up on that piece of etiquette, you don't want to tell them that they're being wrong. You know what I mean? Because as Dan says, like that kind of a way of addressing it could just add more stress. I know because splitting couples at at an event as part of a seating plan just doesn't feel quite right to me. Ellie, we hope this has given you a couple different directions to go and just kudos to you for really kind of looking out for for everybody's best experience at this wedding. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Let us too keep the faith. Let us break bread together. This question has to do with being shy about a bridal shower. Hi. In episode 331, you mentioned the idea of a bride asking someone to throw her a shower. A shower seems to be a very significant financial and time contribution, and I would not have thought to ask someone to give that to me. As a bride or someone expecting to add a child to their family, are there certain people you can ask to throw you a shower? And how do you ask? Thank you. Tracy. Tracy, this is one where it's more of a discussion. Like it's it's not that a bride or a a parent to be should flat out say, "Will you host me a shower?" But it's often something that gets discussed and offered. I mean, for instance, I'm currently hosting a virtual baby shower for one of my best friends and it was I mean, I I offered to do it. It's funny. It really is something that happens quite organically between friends. It might be that a bride or a, a new parent-to-be might say something like, I don't even know what I'm going to do about a shower. And that might prompt a friend to say something like, oh, I well, I could host one for you, you know? But you don't typically directly ask someone else to host you a shower. It's It's a little bit more organic than that. As I'm hearing you talk about this Lizzie Post, I'm saying to myself, there's a theme to this show. (laughs) Unintentional theme. (laughs) Unintentional theme questions one, two, three, and four, whether we're talking about not making demands on a host about a seating chart Mm -hmm. or whether we're talking about telling your guests that an evening is over (laughs) or whether we're talking about telling someone that um, they didn't meet their commitment as part of a meal train. The, the basic answer is these are things that you don't do, <laughs> that the, there isn't good etiquette for for doing them. And at the same time, there are a lot of real world practical situations where these conversations make sense. 
Yep. And are important. Yep. So it's not that you can't have them, shouldn't have them, don't have them. It's that you really have to have them with an awareness that you could offer offense and that you want to be really careful about how you structure it and how you make that approach. <laughs> so you're saying we should title this show, No But Yes But No But Be Careful. <laughs> and again, no. And again, but yes. So, exactly. uh, <laughs> Tracy, just to clarify, we, we do agree that you don't typically – ask someone to throw a shower unless you're really, really close friends and, and you sort of want to d discuss this type of stuff with your friend. But generally, you're kind of broaching the subject and then you're seeing if someone makes an offer, which kind of sounds like you're fishing for a party to be made in your honor. But it's more just you're trying to figure out who's going to be the best person to lean on for this or or who might do this. Um, but as Dan said, the no comes from the place of you don't ask someone to throw you a shower, but you might discuss it with them. <laughs> so there are a couple of situations that I can think about where it would be very natural to have this conversation for really practical reasons. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking about uh, a situation where a friend might be expecting that a family member would be offering to throw you a shower. And you are aware that they aren't for some reason mm -hmm. or where where it would be really natural for one person to think that, oh, these, this other constellation or cluster of people in your life would be doing it. And they're not. And that that might be a way to have that conversation or introduce it in a way that lets someone know that that role isn't filled yet. And there's an opportunity for them if they wanted to make that offer. So we've definitely answered the the should you, should you, should you not. But if you were going to, let's say that nobody's been offering and you're 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 kind of feeling like you, you really would like a shower for this awesome celebration in life. But but nobody's offering. Maybe everybody thinks someone else is doing it. I might do something like per personally, I might call it puja. If I'm if I'm a bride or, or a new mom, I don't know why I'm sticking to the women to women thing here. I could call you too, cuz I could call you. I'll call you. Okay. So I'm calling up Dan and I say, Dan, I have to admit, I'm actually feeling really bummed. I haven't had anyone offer to throw a shower for me. And so I'm going to do the the embarrassing thing and actually ask if you might be willing to put something on because it'd be it'd be really nice to celebrate this moment in life. And I just I don't know kind of how to get the ball rolling other than to okay, ask Lizzie Bose, someone. I'm having a genuine emotional response to you right now. I, I, <laughs> did I pull I, your I, guilt strings and did I play my little violin? I'm ready to well throw enough? you. A, I'm ready to throw you a shower. I'm ready to um, because you know they don't really celebrate people for birthing books, and I was just kind of wondering if if maybe you could throw me throw me a little sledding party in March. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but I do I do still think that that to a close person that 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 would not be terrible kind of exchange to go through what worked for me there is the honesty of your approach that you were sort of willing to talk about where you're coming from emotionally and that for a difficult potentially awkward conversation i think is so key come from a genuine authentic place and people are going to respond in genuine authentic ways so tracy there you have it another answer of no but yes, but it's all in how you do it. <laughs> we hope our answer helps to clarify a little bit. And if you know of someone who's getting married or adding a new child to their family, offer to throw them a shower. 
Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesome etiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are awesome etiquette. Just use the hashtag awesome etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. And today we hear from Jill on asking people to remove their shoes in your house. Hi, Lizzie and Dan. I love your podcast. And while I've been listening for a long time, have especially appreciated being able to listen to such positive content in the midst of such a challenging time in the world. I wanted to offer a quick comment on the issue of hosts having people remove shoes when entering their home. I'm very flexible about this with guests, even though we're generally a no-shoes home within our immediate family. The one thing that I do think guests should consider from an etiquette perspective is not wearing high-heeled shoes that have very narrow heels, like pumps or stilettos, which can damage wood flooring permanently. I don't mind mopping floors if dirt or salt has been tracked in, as that's temporary. But permanent heel imprints can be a big issue. And so I tend to wear flat shoes or those without narrow heels, like wedge shoes, when visiting people's homes. I hope this is helpful. Thanks again for your podcast. Jill. Jill, thank you for the contribution. It, I tell you, the shoes on, shoes off, and we have heard heard the comment before about high heels causing potential dents in in softwood floors. Definitely being an issue. It is it is one more layer. Um, I feel like we could do a shoes on, shoes off book on its own. <laughs> Jill, thank you for this feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to talk about left-handed dining. We have a, a question, concern, confusion submitted by one of our wonderful listeners. Dan, do you want to read the inquiry for us? So we heard from a left-handed diner who wonders, Hello, I so enjoy listening to your podcast. Thank you for spreading good manners. And I love that yours is a family affair. Would you please give your thoughts on the rules of dining etiquette for left-handed people when eating American style? Lately, I have been reading the advice of others in the etiquette space, and it seems a bit off the mark to me. Manners and etiquette are supposed to make things easier, less awkward, and more enjoyable. And that includes table manners. However, I recently read some advice that instructs a left-handed person to keep the knife in their right hand and use it to cut their meal. Then place the knife on the right of the plate and simply flip their fork over in their left hand and use it to convey food into their mouth. I am left-handed, and that would make eating most unenjoyable and awkward to me. Does this advice sound right to you? I cannot elegantly cut with my right hand. 
Would you please clarify how you think a left-handed person should handle their silverware and eat American style? Do they hold their knife in their dominant hand, left, or use their right hand? Where do they place their knife when they are done cutting, top left or right of the plate? And do they use the same finished positions that right-handed people do? Thank you so much. Have a great week and stay well. Kind regards, Left-Handed Diner. Left-Handed Diner, we're so happy that you wrote in. We, we just wrote about this in the 20th edition. And this is a really great uh, question. And one of the reasons why, you know, we don't always do questions as postscripts. But I think that this one's really great because it, it does sound confusing, all the things that Left-Handed Diner has been told. And we've just been writing our version of this in our I next was say, book. Can you simplify it for us? Can I you can. just strip it down and walk us through it? I um, can. Rather yeah. than parse out anything that Left-Handed Diner has been hearing from other etiquette experts, we'll give our advice, which is that you hold the knife, which is the most dangerous implement, and it is the sharpest implement. It's the one you want the most control over in your dominant hand, the hand that you have the most use and dexterity with. And take note, <laughs> the rest of your table mates or dining companions will want you to have control of that yes, knife. They, they will. want that knife in your <laughs> dominant hand, the hand that you have the most dexterity and control. Exactly. With. While we don't usually suggest that hosts set the table in reverse or, or for a lefty, I would say, we do suggest that hosts consider putting a lefty on a corner because it can sometimes help with, with bumping elbows a little bit. But your fork should be in your other non-dominant hand, and then you can choose to switch the fork over to the dominant hand once you're finished cutting. And if your knife is in your left as your dominant, then you would leave your knife on the left-hand side of your plate. But when it comes to the ending the meal, I would move them over to the right. I would I would put those utensils at the 420 or on the 4 of the face of a clock so that the handles are there and the uh, the tips are, are sort of closer to the center or across the plate. And that's because we leave on the left and we retrieve on the right when we're clearing. And that allows for a server or your host to be able to pick up your plate from the right-hand side as they're supposed to and hold on really easily and quickly, simply to that silverware so that it doesn't clatter, spill, drop onto the guests, something like that. I guess the only thing that that doesn't cover is that is the knife on the top left or right of the plate. And if the knife was being held in your right hand, the handle would be facing towards the right-hand side of the plate most naturally. And if you've been using your knife in your left hand and set it down at the top of the plate, the handle would be facing towards the left-hand side of the plate. In both instances, you're just going to turn it when you set it down so the blade of the knife is pointing in towards the center of the plate or towards yourself. Right. We never point the blade of the knife outward towards the rest of the table. I just wanted to let everyone know that a quick bit of Google uh, research just told me that Various studies show between 8 and 15 percent of the population oh. is left-handed. A lot of the averages uh, will shrink that down to 10 to 11 percent. So you're talking about one in 10 guests okay. at any particular party, most likely. <laughs> left-handed diner, thanks so much for sending in this topic to discuss. We certainly hope this helps clarify and helps put you at ease comfortably at the table. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing out in the world, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Scott. 
Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for brightening my Tuesday commutes for all these years. I started listening to your podcast around episode 75, and I did go back and binge listen from the first episode to catch up. After hearing your segments that were broadcast on VPR on Sunday mornings, I gladly became a sustaining member when that option became available and was very happy when you joined the Patreon platform. I quite often find myself thinking of your lessons on the principles of consideration, respect, and honesty, and how best to use them in my personal and professional interactions. I would like to extend an etiquette salute, my first, to the residents of Meriden, New Hampshire, and the patrons of the Meriden Post Office. Since October, I have been working at the Meriden Post Office, covering for their clerk who is serving as the temporary acting postmaster at a neighboring office. The people of Meriden have been very welcoming and forgiving of the occasional error as I learned which names go with each family and each box. The office is housed in one half of a small building, and due to COVID restrictions, we allow only one person at a time. Everyone is very willing to wait in line outside with proper social distancing with little complaint. This past holiday season was not an easy one for the Postal Service, dealing with unprecedented parcel volumes and processing facilities being understaffed due to COVID issues and less seasonal help than normal. Most everyone was understanding about the situation and took it with minimal complaint. This is why I enjoy working at the smaller offices in smaller towns with great community spirit. Thank you, Meriden. Scott. Oh, Scott, that's a that's a great salute. <laughs> Three cheers for the post office. Hip hip hooray, hip hip hooray, Scott, you have to know that I teach etiquette and thank you notes and gratitude. And it is one of my sticks, one of my spiels that the Postal Service is a miracle. It is an absolutely amazing service that <laughs> you can physically take something and touch it and change it and transform it and give it to someone and they take it to someone else and hand it to them for us. It really it's happens. Really special. It's <laughs> like, really special. It is. It really, really um, is. <laughs> thank you for sharing about your role and the community of Meriden. And we really appreciate it. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, and coworkers, and on social media. You can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a message or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesomeetiquette. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps with our show ranking, which helps new people find awesome editing. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Chris Thanks, and Bridget. Thanks, Chris and Bridget.